Meet Reed Lance Rosenthal, rancher, number one best-selling award-winning author, and unabashedly, unapologetically, on the right side of the outstanding issues of our generation. But don't try to fence him in. Sometimes his positions will surprise you, because Reed is definitely his own man, with his own opinions. You might love him, you might hate him, but you won't be able to stop listening. Step over to the right side with Reed. Howdy, folks. This is Reed Lance Rosenthal on the Right Side Radio, and I appreciate you tuning in from Canada to the Gulf, the Atlantic to the Pacific, and around the globe. It's on the right side, and here we go. You know, I got some great letters over the last several weeks, whole bunches of new listeners, obviously, with the great expansion of our AM reach, and I thought I would generally share some of those. Number one... A lot of folks, of course, like the show. Well, thank you. I re- really appreciate it. And number two, folks said they'd like to learn a little bit more about me and, you know, the ranch thing and and all those kind of uh, little, some personal tidbits. And I'm going to accommodate that in this show. And I also got some great suggestions from listeners. And don't be bashful. Don't be reticent. Don't delay in sending me your comments. Good, bad, ugly, indifferent. We love them. On the right side radio at Reagan.com. On the right side radio at Reagan.com for email. The website, which is very important to this show, I'll explain here in just a moment, is on the right side radio.com. www.onthereightsideradio.com. And you know, since this is just an hour show and it's weekly, and I try and cover really big topics and weave history into the current events. We don't get a chance really to cover a lot of stuff in terms of current events, current big happenings, and I don't mean in terms of the way the mainstream media doesn't cover it or covers it with the glitter and the the distraction that they do. We cover the news behind the news. We cover the why behind the news. The website is really important for that. When I do my rat-a-tat-tat segment, which is a kind of a staccato, a machine gun, if you will, of current events at the end of each show. All those articles in total, if any interest you and you want to read them, are on the website under Rat-a-tat-tat. You can get it on the home page or on the show page for that week. And we always have some really big stories that are kind of ongoing and bubbling. I brought you the history of Ukraine, oh, uh, I think two weeks ago. I mean, lots of people wrote me and said they had no idea that there was a whole nother dimension to what the media is trying to feed us, the propaganda from the government. And we have the Ukraine page. There's a link in the upper right-hand corner of the homepage of the website, Ukraine. Click on that. It will have a lot of the stories we've covered, all the news stories, and they're not the body counts, folks. This is the stories behind the stories. Important. In addition, you know, I I talk about COVID a lot. I talk about the jabs a lot. And I got some letters from people who say, you know, you make me very uncomfortable. I've gotten one or two or three, whatever. I'm not trying to make you uncomfortable. I'm trying to bring you information. Knowledge is power, folks. Whether or not you are quote-unquote inoculated or not, you need to know what's happening out there in the world. The studies that are being done, the adverse effects from the jabs, the 
shall we say, <laughs> I'll be nice, the untruths that the government is being caught in now almost on a daily basis. You'll hear some of that in the rat-a-tat-tat. What we did was we have a COVID page starting this week. It'll also be, the link is in the upper right-hand corner of the homepage on the rightsideradio.com. Click on that. This might be one of the best compendiums of information from a whole bunch of different sources. Virtually all of them world-renowned doctors, epidemiologists, virologists, and even some government reports so that you can compare. And uh, lots of videos that you can listen to. Alternative medicine for treatment for COVID and the success that it's had. Therapeutic drugs, ivermectin, HCQ, etc. And the studies related to them. And a protocol, if you wish, which might help you if you've taken the jab and you now feel badly about it. It might help you overcome perhaps some of the effects of the jab that we're seeing out there. I'm not down on you if you've taken the injection. I'm not going to call it a vaccine. It's not a vaccine. It does not grant you immunity. It does not stop the transmission of COVID-19 from one person to another either way. I'm not down on you whatsoever. Everybody has their reasons. Everybody gets to make their own choices. But everybody gets to have the information. And as you know, that information has been broadly suppressed by big tech, mainstream media, and the government. In some cases, they just don't tell you. In other cases, they flat out lie to you. My job is to bring you the truth. Your job is to read it, listen to it, watch it, and make your own decisions. So check out the COVID page. I think you'll find it a very valuable resource that we will continue to add to. The next thing is the Biden corruption. In fact, the corruption on the whole on the whole of government. Let's face it, we have a very, very corrupt planet, and we have an extremely corrupt government. I won't give you the list of culprits. Number one, it'd be 50,000 people long. You know all the main names in it. The Clintons, the Bidens, the Obamas, the Kerrys. But there's two really terrific videos that have come out. One is in Ukrainian with subcaptions. These are Ukrainian officials. And the other is a specialist, kind of a, a spy type, who is actually dissecting Hunter Biden's laptop as we speak. And he has plans for the information that they are gaining in it. And it's a powerful powerful video, both of them, with lots of clips, lots of proof, lots of foundation, and even though they are lengthy, let me highly recommend that you watch them. Even if you, you know, it takes a week or two to, to get through them, they are riveting, and they will give you a whole other dimension on how widespread the corruption in this government and how widespread the corruption is in the Biden family. And it is about treason, it is about corruption, it is about greed, it is about power lust, it is about globalism. I really suggest you watch those videos. Once again, the link will be in the upper right-hand corner of the homepage on the rightsideradio.com. And before I tell you what's going to be in the show today, let me tell you, I was looking out the window while I was putting the show together. And you know, there was a gentle wind blowing across the dried, just starting to green grasses of the meadows. 
it was kind of coursing its way through the rough bark of the cottonwoods down by the creek. The creek, which is now rising with an early melt, unfortunately, in this warm and dry spring that we're having out here in the Rockies, was riffled by the breeze. The sun was shining. It was warm. It smelled like spring with the sound of birds, the neighing of horses, the bawling of cattle, and no humans around. No lights, no roofs, nearest neighbor miles away. And I thought to myself, such a tranquil scene. And I'm in the middle of doing the show with all the, all the nonsense that I have to cover for you. And I was thinking to myself, what a paradox. As I stare out the window at tranquility, paradise in fact, yet the world is bubbling in turmoil and many, many people are hurting in all sorts of ways. That's my thought for the day from the ranch. The show today is going to be the history of climate change, but from the left's perspective, from the activist's perspective. And then, of course, we're going to have the rest of the story. You know, what they're not telling you. Oh, what a surprise. And then we're going to talk about organization of your fellow band of freedom fighters and freedom lovers. This is the third part of this. This part is about starting to get er done as you get organized. And it is critical. We are seven months from this election. This election will determine the fate of the country and of the globe. That is not an understatement. And finally, I'm going to wind up with rat-a-tat-tat. Oh, boy. You know, get yourself prepared. I think in starting off our historical story, there's a perfect quote from the founders, right? Actually, the mentor of the founders, Thomas Paine. And I quote, To argue with a person who has renounced the use of reason is like administering medicine to the dead, unquote. I love that. I just love that. Let's talk about climate change history, shall we? So this is from a left-wing perspective. And all across this article and this history are all sorts of clicks that you can click to join this and join that and get active and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, more power to them. Climate activism, folks, isn't a new thing. I mean, recent years, obviously, it's taken off like crazy. It was originally called global warming, but then, of course, when we had those cold, snowy years uh, 30, 40 years ago for a while, they changed the name to climate change. How convenient. In 1965, there were scientists. It was on the U.S. President's Science Advisory Committee, and they first put forward concerns about, quote, greenhouse effect, unquote. And the report was called Restoring the Quality of Our Environment. And basically, they said that increasing temperatures in the atmosphere caused by carbon dioxide was going to be the end of the Earth. Then, of course, we have Earth Day. And the first ever Earth Day in the United States was almost 50 years ago, just about exactly, April 22, 1970. And the organizers, mostly students, they wanted to raise awareness of pollution, toxic waste, etc. And inspired by the anti-war movement of the time, Earth Day has now become a global event. Ever since 1990, 200 million people in 141 countries joined forces on that day to bring this all on the world stage. That's a lot of folks. That's a lot of folks. By the late 80s, droughts, record heat, or at least according to the media, droughts and record heat, 
were around the world. The L.A. Times, oh, that bastion of reasonable thought, conservative thought. The L.A. Times, they were reporting in 1989 on a British scientist's discovery that the previous year, 88, had been the hottest ever on record. Of course, you know, records are somewhat limited in humankind, as we all know. And that was where they came up with the term global warming. Oh, yes, of course. And then the IPCC, oh, you're going to hear more about them in the rat-a-tat-tat. In 1988, the UN, I mean, always looking out for us, launched its Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the IPCC. And this expert, quote-unquote expert panel, no names, no credentials, but the expert panel was given the job of assessing developing science on climate change. Oh, and from there on, providing up-to-date information to governments the IPCC's reports, because of the movement toward globalism, have become, unfortunately, the reference point in international climate negotiations, you know, like the Paris Accord, and kind of a key in the process of getting countries to agree to the necessary steps to take to tackle the issue. Decades later, October 2018, it was the IPCC that reported that the world only had 12 years left. Oh, 12 years, folks. Oh, you survivors of COVID, you are about to incinerate. And you had 12 years to limit climate catastrophe. Okay, yes. And at that time, by the way, things would become irreversible and we would all be doomed. We'd have to go with Elon Musk, I guess, to Mars. In the real Earth Summit, this is 1992. 178 countries, unfortunately, including the United States, thank you, Elder Bush, signed on to this uh, first quote-unquote agreement, which was a set of principles for improving and protecting environment, etc., etc., etc. The next Rio summit, by the way, was held in June of 2012. The Kyoto Protocol, 1997. So all the developed nations gathered in Kyoto, Japan, and they agreed on, quote-unquote, a historic, historic climate plan. It was the first agreement between nations to mandate reduction of greenhouse gases. By the way, the U.S. Senate, thank you, immediately declared it would not ratify the treaty. And by the way, here we are a many decades later, and we lead the world in reduction of climate change related gases and then of course we get into the demonstration phase of all this stuff in the 2000s large-scale demonstrations in fact between 2000 and 2019 which this article says is nine of the hottest years ever recorded keeping in mind recordation does not go back too far fossil fuel consumption continued to rise oh they they're wringing their hands here and new Pressure groups, if you will, arose, like 350.org. And it was an organization, by the way, kind of funded partially by George Soros, to build a global climate movement. In 2005, there was the Global Day of Action. And it took place during the UN, oh, here we are at the UN again, climate talks in Montreal. And people around the world and in Canada, you know, Bangladesh, Australia, had demonstrations, and they continue. They're now an annual event, you'll be happy to know, around the globe. And then students started to get on board. You know, here's where education kind of comes in 
parents and grandparents. I mean, if they're indoctrinated from the time they're in kindergarten, what exactly do you expect? So in 2011, student groups in the U.S., later the U.K., they began to pressure their universities to divest themselves from fossil fuels. It actually had some success. And so, you know, like good little leftists, they capitalized on success. And the University of Glasgow became the first British university to quote-unquote divest. And by 2014, believe it or not, 837 institutions around the globe had promised to divest themselves from fossil fuels. So Pacific Islanders started to jump on the climate change bandwagon. In 2014, there was a group that kind of formed the Pacific Climate Warriors, Marshall Islands, Fiji, Vanuatu, and I've probably mispronounced that, Tokola, and the Solomon Islands. And they actually put together a flotilla of boats that blocked the Newcastle coal port in Australia. Don't know if you know that, but kind of an interesting little climate change activity. And they were funded by that 350.org outfit I was telling you about, which has some Soros money circulating in it. And then, of course, we're now into stage, which I would call climate culture. Or starting around 2010, you know, gee, the president was Barack Obama. Must be a coincidence. Public performances, art, all that kind of stuff began to be incorporated in the uh, symbol of protest against climate change. And then we're now in the phase I would call direct action. And there's another group that's now been formed. In fact, it was formed during the COVID pandemic. I guess, you know, when you're in your basement, what else are you going to do? And it's called the Extinction Rebellion. And this is kind of a direct action group. And it organizes what this, <laughs> what, what the leftists call creative forms of protest. And they launched it in London in May of 2018. And they brought the UK capital to a standstill. Fortunately, they didn't have Trudeau as prime minister. They were all would have lost their bank accounts. Anyway, you then enter the scene in August of 2018 of Greta Thunberg. You've probably heard of her. She was then 15 years old, and she sat alone, oh, shivering, shivering in the, <laughs> in the warmth of climate change, uh, outside the Swedish parliament to protest inaction on climate change. Well, she's become kind of a world celebrity, you know, the globalist lover, the leftist lover. I mean, she has everything going for her. And there's now what's called Greta Thunberg school strikes around the globe periodically during the course of every year. And in their minds, they figure that, you know, if you don't want to address climate change, then we're not going to study. I'll have to think about that a little bit with my rancher common sense. You know, uh, how does that tie in? But uh, never mind. We'll move right along. And finally, finally, now in 2020, 2021, obviously the climate change deal has become global. As I've warned you many times, after COVID or whatever else they have dreamed up in the ways of biological warfare is going to come climate change. That's going to be the new... Emergency action that requires strict government impingement upon your freedoms. Wait till we get to the rat-a-tat-tat story. It's already happening. So that is the history of climate change. And of course, it's all greeny and gooey and happy and save the planet and, you know, terrific. And also because climate change, according to these folks, 
affects poor people the most. At the same time as you're saving the earth, you also get to help create equality on the planet. But here's what they don't tell you. You know, the rest of the story. All energy from green energy has to be stored in a battery. Gee, who would have thought? And batteries do not make electricity, folks. They store electricity that's produced somewhere else. And that includes wind, and it includes solar, and it includes like any of the alternative energies. And you know, all those energies that are stored in those batteries are produced by coal, uranium, natural gas, or diesel-fueled generators. So to say that a environmental approach using quote-unquote green energy mechanics is a zero-emission vehicle is not even close to being valid. And since 40% of the electricity in the United States is from coal-fired plants right now, I guess 40% of the EVs, you know, on the road or elsewhere, are coal-powered. Do you get the connection? Listen, for those of you who are excited about electric cars and green revolutions and all that kind of stuff, let's take a look at what it costs in terms of resources and energy to make those batteries. I mean, somehow they forget to tell you this stuff. A typical EV battery, you know, a electric car battery, weighs 1,000 pounds. It's the size of a travel trunk. Listen to this. 25 pounds of lithium. 60 pounds of nickel, 44 pounds of manganese, 30 pounds of cobalt, 200 pounds of copper, and 400 pounds of aluminum, steel, plastic, and a whole bunch of other stuff. And by the way, there's 6,000 individual lithium-ion cells. To manufacture one of these batteries, that's one battery for one electric car, and, and it, gets, it gets worse for solar and wind, as you're going to see. You have to process 25,000 pounds of brine to get the lithium, 30,000 pounds of ore to get the cobalt, 5,000 pounds of ore to get the nickel, and 25,000 pounds of ore to get the copper. So basically, you're going to dig up 500,000 pounds, give or take, of the Earth's crust to make one battery. And of course, the machines that are digging it are all using fossil fuels. You know, does water run uphill or downhill? I ask myself when I read something like this. Oh, and then we have solar panels. So when they make a solar panel, a solar array as it's called, the chemicals that are needed to process silicate into the silicon that's used on the panels, it has to be pure. And that requires hydrochloric acid, sulfuric acid, nitric acid, hydrogen fluoride, gallium, arsenide, copper, indium, gallium, deselenide, and cadmium telluride, all of which, by the way, are highly, highly toxic compounds. In fact, silicone dust itself, folks, is a hazard to workers. The panels can never be recycled, never be recycled. Wind turbines, well, you know, you have a roughly 40-ton tower, some of them as much as 400 feet high, that can be seen for miles, talk about a viewscape and, and preserving the planet, and they're made of neodymium, praseodymium, disopromium. Each blade on one of those windmills weighs 81,000 
pounds. That's 40 tons. But it's only going to last 15 to 20 years, and then it has to be replaced. And by the way, you can't recycle the blades. Look, going green is a wonderful thought, but the reality is going green is more destructive to the Earth's environment than is not going green. It's just as simple as that. But then one wonders, well, why are they doing this? And who's going to get rich? And that, of course, gets us into corruption. Make sure you watch those videos on the rightsideradio.com. Biden corruption. Let's talk about our organization now that we've covered the rest of the story on this Green New Deal. And in the first two parts of this over the last two weeks, two weeks ago, I had you kind of do the basic structuring, the basic organization of putting your group to save America together. Last week, I talked about what to do when you're organized at that point, how to divvy up all the responsibilities, you know, the coordinator, the speaker and the public guy, the financial guy, the tech and internet guy, the government liaison and elections person, the training and education person. Well, today, let's talk about getting her done, getting her done, as we would say on the ranch. Because once you're organized, once your leaders of the subcommittees are in place and they have their individual subcommittee goals, etc., and you're working as a team, this is your next step. Okay, and remember, the election is seven months away. You've got plenty of time if you start right now. By the way, all these outlines are on the Take Action page on OnTheRightSideRadio.com. Click Take Action on the home page, bring you right to that page. There's all sorts of things you can do. You can read these outlines. There's uh, campaigns to contribute to, causes to contribute to, ways to get involved. I suggest you go there and take, take a gander. So the first thing you need to do in your now organized group You need to come up with common statements. You know how the left is so good at their unified approach? The government says it. The intelligence agencies say it. The press says it. The big tech folks say it. Well, you got to be the same way. Learn from the enemy. You need to speak with a unified voice, and you need to speak through your spokesman. This is what you need to decide to come up with a unified voice. What does this group stand for? What are your goals, specific goals? What is your call to action to the public? Join the group, contribute money, get registered. I mean, there could be many calls to action. Never communicate with the public without a call to action. Get them to do something. If you can't agree on some aspect of this big picture, what's your goals, what do you stand for, use what you have and can form a consensus on to come up with your platform. And your platform needs to be written. Keep it simple. I have a saying that I tell all my folks. You need to do it so that a two-year-old with a crayon can understand. Keep it simple. None of these lengthy planks, which nobody follows, of the various political parties. I mean, bullet points. A few of them. Key points. You know, education. Do you believe in parent involvement and control? Financial. How are you going to use the funds you raise from the public? Be specific, folks. Okay, People want to know where their money's going before they give it to you. Where do you stand on the Second Amendment? Where do you stand on free speech? Where do you stand on freedom of religion? 
Where do you stand on states and local rights? By the way, you might notice all these kind of mirror our Ten Amendments, right? The first Ten Amendments, the Bill of Rights. Where do you stand on election integrity? Let me give you an idea on that one. I've always thought a great saying, which I will take with some modesty, uh, having come up with, is election integrity is the right of every U.S. citizen legally registered to cast one vote without dilution by any fraudulent vote. That's my definition of election integrity. How about government transparency and accountability? Where, where do you stand on that? How about economy, debt, and inflation? Where do you stand on that? And how about equal opportunity? This is not equality. This is not leveling the playing field. This is not redistribution, but it's the equal opportunity to pull yourself up your bootstraps in this country and make something of yourself, whatever you wish. The next thing you need to do is you need to come up with the candidates you're going to support. Obviously, I would hope they're non-rhinos. I would hope that they are strict constitutionalists. I would hope that they believe in limited government. But it's up to your group to decide what your key criteria for supporting a candidate is. One of the things you can do is you can set up one half hour, or hour if you wish, candidate question and answer periods. You know, they can be very instructive. Invite the public. Publicize it. The leaders of your various subcommittees, your speaker guy, your media guy, can get the stuff out. You can get it on the website with the internet guy and get the public to attend. You're doing a great public service. The candidates will be eager to attend, particularly the more local the election. And what a great place to recruit new members for your group or to get people registered to vote, right? Then you need to come up with kind of candidates that are going to speak at these events that eventually you're going to support. And listen, no position is too small. You can't believe how many positions. I brought a story to you about this little county in Montana. This is probably a year and a half ago, where the election commissioner was a lefty, lefty, lefty in this hugely conservative county, and she got the position because nobody ran against her. And she wrecked havoc with the elections up in this county until they finally got rid of her. Don't let that happen to you. School board, any of the obscure offices like the one I just talked about, the justice of the peace, the election administrator, the town council, county commissioners, state legislators, the governor, your congresspeople, and of course, your senators. Get involved with all of them. Okay, this wave starts from the ground up. This is a upward moving tsunami of we the people. And remember, Every one of these events is a time to recruit people and to get people registered. You ought to be setting goals on that right now. How many people are you going to register? What's your group going to get done here? Is it going to be 1,000, 2,000, 5,000, 10,000? Obviously, some of those numbers will depend upon the size of your community. But don't set your goals too low. Set your goals high and then make it happen. Next week, we're going to talk about the next layer of what you can do with all this once you have this stuff in play. And this is when you start getting really active. I mean, really active and really start making a change, which we really need to do. I mean, are you pissed off yet enough to get off the couch? I certainly hope so. We're about to embark on rat-a-tat-tat. And remember, on rat-a-tat-tat, every article 
Just click on Rat-a-tat-tat on the website, on the right side, radio.com, either the show page or the home page. You can read the full thing there. Let's start off with Tucson, Arizona. They're having a special election in May, and guess what? The city down there has announced that anybody who wants to serve as an election worker has to present proof of vaccination. <laughs> Boy, you know, they will stop at nothing, folks to try and turn this election around. And by the way, this is the same agenda, right? Biden's vaccine mandates for the military and the federal government. I mean, you can't say Christians, conservatives are banned. So instead, they go to the the vaccine nonsense. Oh, and then along those lines, oh, you, you won't like this much, you folks who have life insurance policies. Big insurance is going to be going head-to-head with the big jab companies the big pharma companies, because in France, and this is a really widely watched case, this poor elderly guy, wealthy businessman, he got out life insurance, several million dollars in coverage. He got the vaccine, or should I say the jab, and he died. But the life insurance company is not paying a death benefit because they decided that the vaccine, quote unquote, is a medical experiment. And deaths from a medical experiment are not a covered entity. And the judge who heard the case said that the side effects from the jab are well known. They've been made public, kind of. And there's absolutely no way that this gentleman could not have known the side effects. So, therefore, the judge reasons, he willingly chose to get the jab, and he died as a result. And because it was a choice, the judges ruled it's suicide, which is also not covered under life insurance. By the way, if you think, well, that's France and this is the United States and I'm cool, not so much. The American Life Insurance Council has said that life insurance policies here in the United States will likely deny payment if you die from the COVID-19 jab because they are experimental drugs. Check your policies, folks. Oklahoma Senator James Lankford, he's teaming up with Mike Crapo, the senator from Idaho, and they are on the warpath against the IRS. All this new funding Biden is lavishing, or should I say cadaver is lavishing on them. And they are particularly concerned with these regulations that the IRS is trying to get instigated through cadaver and the cabal, that they can basically monitor your checking accounts. You know, I brought you this story about nine months ago. Everybody poo-pooed it. Here we are. Any transaction over 600 or whatever amount they choose, is subject to scrutiny. Ooh. Joe Biden's budget. Well, this has been described. He came up with his $1.5 trillion skinny budget, as he calls it. And then, of course, lurking in the wings are a whole bunch of bigger bills, like the Build Back Better $2.5 trillion deal, which right now is stalled and hopefully dead. And a $2.3 million infrastructure approval, a proposal, a $1.9 trillion COVID package. I mean, you would almost think that they're trying to cause inflation to hurt the middle class, wouldn't you? And then, of course, on top of that, they're raising interest rates. Kind of a double squeeze. Must just be a coincidence because, you know, the first thing they think about in the morning is how well you're doing. And they want you to do well. By the way, all this money in this $1.5 trillion skinny budget, Climate change. Oh, gee, does that ring a bell with this historical story? Education, that's right. Lots of money for the Department of Education so they can try and federalize your kids' knowledge and your kids' indoctrination. Civil rights, well, of course. Public health research, oh, you know, uh, yeah, $6.8 billion. I'm not making this up. 
for the next pandemic that the CDC may have to face. Wow. How's that for some foreshadowing of what they have in mind? And then, of course, the opioid crisis. You know, billions. We don't want to shut down the southern border, which costs us hundreds of billions of dollars a year. Instead, we want to throw money at the opioid crisis, which the open border is creating. This is just terrific. I mean, it's just terrific. Uh, by the way, it's $103 billion for the Education Department. That's a 41% increase over 2021. You think they're after your kids? Yep, I kind of think so. And let's see. Oh, yes, this ties right into our little climate change historical story. International agencies calling for restriction of oil use. You'll love this. Yes, this is the United Nations. Here they are again. And the International Energy Agency of the United Nations is saying that we need to have energy lockdowns, you know, kind of like COVID lockdowns, and ban the use of private cars in cities on Sundays, or have even an odd-numbered license plates be able to drive this day or the opposite day. Yeah, they got a 10-point plan to cut oil use, reduce speed limits, working from home, cutting business air travel, imposing an SUV tax. So I guess if you don't buy a Tesla... Folks, you know, get ready to pay through the nose. I quote, governments have all the necessary tools at their disposal to put oil demand into decline in the coming years, which would support efforts to both strengthen energy security, really, and achieve vital climate goals, unquote. Folks, are you beginning to see like a plan here, you know, like a coordinated plan by the globalists? Well, if you are, you are right. Understand this. Climate change will be a lever. I gave you the example here in the rat-a-tat-tat of the United Nations already starting to clamp down. You know, you can't drive on these days. You can't drive this kind of car. You can't drive on this day at all, etc. This is all just another form of lockdown. COVID was the experiment. Now they're going to take those tried-and-true methods, which arose under emergency powers because of emergencies that are threatening society. And they're going to apply them to a whole bunch of other stuff. And with that $6.8 billion I told you about in one of the rat-a-tat-tats, you know, to fund the CDC for the next pandemic emergency, I mean, really, put your thinking cap on. What does that tell you? And I'm not done. Cadaver in the cabal, Obama in his third term, they're like Freddy. You know, you think Freddy's dead and in the bushes, and then he arises with his maniacal grin to chase you once again. I brought you a story last week about the CDC very quietly reducing their death figures by 78,000. That's just the first step. Now, this week, there's an article, in fact, several, but the national file. Let me give you a quote. CDC's quiet admission that it blended viral and antibody test results for its case numbers and that people can test positive on an antibody test if they have antibodies from a family of viruses that can cause the common cold, unquote. You know what they're telling you? That they inflated all the COVID numbers. And this same week, there's a peer-reviewed study, and it's from the Public Health Initiative of the Institute for Pure and Applied Knowledge. Basically, they think that the death count from COVID, really from COVID, you got COVID, COVID killed you was inflated by at least 1,600%. That's 1,600% by the CDC. They have violated, in doing that, a whole bunch of federal laws. Do you understand what's going on here? And then we have 
Ukraine, that democracy that we need to support with uh, billions and billions of our dollars. Well, it just so happens that Zelensky, this is a week ago, he banned a political party in Ukraine called the Opposition Platform for Life and 10 other political parties. <laughs> Basically declaring martial law, you know, never let, a, never let a crisis go to waste if you're a globalist. Remember I told you in the historical story of a few weeks ago, he was trained as a young globalist leader by the World Economic Forum. And additionally, he signed a decree that combines all the national television channels into a single platform under his control. And he calls it a unified information policy. Wow, I guess it certainly is unified. So why don't we put all this in perspective? This is the democracy that the press and the government says we need to be saving. Okay, listen to those videos, folks, under the Biden corruption deal on the website, on the rightsideradio.com. It will give you a perspective. And here we are, out of time again. It's unbelievable. Reparations. It should get you in a really jolly mood here for the end of the show. So I brought you the warning about reparations almost six years ago now. People laughed. Oh, that can never happen here. You know, this is the United States of America. Well, not only is it happening, and I brought you this story too, but Sheila Jackson Lee, oh, what a peach. She's doing her study on HB40, except it's not a study on whether we should have reparations, but what the best way there is to institute those reparations. So last week, the president, well, actually, the president's mouthpiece, Jen Psaki, was questioned by a reporter. Okay, The question was, would President Cadaver sign reparations legislation if it came to his desk? Here was her answer. He supported a study of reparations. I believe that's what's being discussed and studied, and the, the continuing impacts of slavery, which is being discussed in this hearing on H.R. 40. Excuse me, it's H.R., not H.B., and he would certainly support a study of reparations. And having that study is a part of that. In other words, reparations. He signed an executive order on his first day, which would begin to deliver on his commitment to having an across-government approach to addressing racial inequality and making sure equity, folks, that's your wealth going to somebody else, making sure equity is a part of his entire policy agenda. I'm telling you, Get out of your normalcy box. Think ahead. Think big picture. Let me end the show with a quote. Quote, if there must be trouble, let it be in my day that my children may have peace. Thomas Paine. And repeat after me, folks, in the mirror and with your family. Every day, I will muster. I will stand. I will not comply. I will never give in. I will never stop fighting. I will join with those in these United States and across the globe who love freedom as I do, and we will win. Next week, military history of the United States, military readiness of the United States now. This will not please you, I guarantee you. And it all started under, oh yes, Obama and Cadaver. And then the economy. The Fed is stuck, folks. they got to inflate or die. Let me tell you how this lines up with ancient Rome. It'll catch your attention. Have a great week. Thanks for listening. This is Reed Lance Rosenthal on the Right Side Radio. Please remember, if you've missed any shows, just click on Show Archive and you'll find all of his shows. We look forward to seeing you here again next week for another episode of Reed Lance Rosenthal on the Right Side.